Welcome to The Scope with Dr. K. I'm Dr. Kaczynski. We're going to open the show today as we always do by stating the goal of this show is to present you with a broad scope of value-based care issues, mainly involving the field of gastroenterology, but also outside of GI as well. We are recording today from Digestive Disease Week, the largest gastrointestinal medical conference in the country every year. And I have a cast of guests to entertain you with today and educate you. Uh, we're going to start our show today with some of the leadership, incoming leadership of the AGA Governing Board. We're very fortunate to have Barbara Jung, the uh, incoming president of the AGA, and congratulations on that. So Barbara, you're assuming a new leadership position here. What do you want to accomplish? What's on your agenda? So thank you, Larry, and it might be disappointing to hear that uh, there is nothing really on my agenda other than carrying on. Um, we've really revamped the way the board is structured and the way we um, see the leadership of, of AGA, which you have been part of. We're thinking about, with all the changes around us, how does AGA need to equip itself for the future and really feel that we need a succession of servant leaders who move everybody else forward. So I don't have my own agenda. The agenda is the agenda of the AGA, and really the agenda is all the initiatives that we already started and moving them forward and bringing them to fruition. Well, that's certainly the best attitude to have, uh, assuming your role, because the AGA has been around for over 100 years, and we are just stewards of it for a very short period of time, and we have to respect the, the overall integrity of the organization. That, that's, that was a great answer to the question. So you're here at DDW. What do, you, what do you see as the major challenges facing us going forward? So there's so many challenges, and I think some of the biggest ones are societal. Um, uh, we've seen a lot of uh, loss of trust in, uh, of, the, of the public in science, in truth, in um, you know, the physician-patient the physician relationship. Um, we just as board together learned a lot about consolidations that are happening around us. So the business space really taking over in many ways. And um, so I think it really behooves us collectively to um, remain this moral um, authority around helping our patients and improving the health of everyone, and particularly GI health of everyone. Thank you very much for uh, taking some time out of your very busy schedule and uh, enjoy the rest of the meeting. Thank you, Larry. All right. I'm sitting here looking at Maria Abreu, who is um, the president-elect of almost. the AGA, almost, and um, is the uh, chief of uh, the inflammatory bowel unit at the University of Miami. She's been a guest on my podcast before. We're going to pick her brain for a different reason today. We're going to pick it more in her role at the AGA. Welcome to the show, Marie. Thank you. Thank you, Larry, for inviting me. Well, we had to have you. We had to. Barbara is going to be the president in a couple weeks, and you're the president-elect. I think this is the first time we're going to have two females back-to-back -back as president year after year. What do you hope to accomplish? What do you want? To, what do you want the AGA to turn into over the course of these couple of years? Well, that's amazing that you should have that as the first shout out because I think maybe this is the first time. It ain't going to be the last time. Uh, you're right. and, I, and I'm pretty sure for the preceding other hundred years of the society, no one said, "God, there are two guys in a row." You know, no one sort of uh, mentioned that before. I think this is just the way it's going to be. I mean, our, our, most of our GI fellows are women. You know, I was. Uh, we had a reception and. 
It's, and, and, and many of the program directors have told me most of our GI fellows are women. And I think that brings me to a point that I think is, that is important for both Barbara and myself, which is we want to make sure that gastroenterology as a field is, is, a, is an equitable field for women to be successful in. Because they need us, you need us. Uh, people vote with their feet. Women, patients want to see women doctors. Um, as a side note, you know, it turns out that women doctors have better outcomes, like overall, right? Wasn't that a big JAMA paper? That the survival rate of patients being taken care of by women doctors is better? And I think that can be extrapolated, especially to things that involve cognition. I'm, again, I'm, I'm sort of quick to add, I'm not implying that women are smarter than guys. I'll let you reach that own, your own conclusions on that subject. My granddaughter would say that. But I think, <laughs> I think that there are things that, um, that it's clear that women must take more time with their patients. And, and I think that that's all related to why they have these better outcomes. And then fast forward into gastroenterology. What, what patients want most is for us to talk to them, right? We're busy. Uh, on, and the, at the AJ, and I want to continue to be busy to represent the needs of all of gastroenterology, the people who are, are endoscopists, the people who are doing all the different, you know, the hepatology, the IBS, all the different fields. I happen to be an IBD doctor. But all of this now is except is having more and more women in all of these, right? I heard one of the, the best talks I've heard today was on advanced endoscopy by Allison Schulman, who's at the University of Michigan, obviously a rock star in her world. It's obvious that the, the field is completely changing. When have you ever heard of that? And, uh, you know, and that's really the legacy of a Grace Elta, right? You know, at the University right. of Michigan who really Absolutely. opened that door for women to be advanced endoscopists. And so once you start having women in leadership positions of, in the field, you attract, now, now you attract all these new faces into the field. And I just want to make sure that we are uh, not, not just adapting to the way things have always been. Um, I, have, I have possibly as a kind of a defect seeing something and always saying, how could we make this better? You know, I, I, you know I'm never content with the status quo. My, my husband wouldn't like, you know, wouldn't say that that's my best characteristic, but nevertheless, it is a characteristic. And I think in this context, it makes me think about, what do we know about m maternity leave, right? Because remember, since they're all coming out of fellowship and going into becoming faculty now or joining a practice, they're all young, right? You know, we're, these are young women. We depend on them as a society to, to, to have children and all that. And I realize this affects young families and men as well. But nevertheless, actually, having been pregnant, you know, you're not feeling all that well towards the end. And you, and, and you need to take time off after you have a baby. And, that, and, and that, that's just a fact of life. And so how do we make that so that it's not viewed in a negative way? That, you know, that people, when they're evaluating whether they're going to take someone into their practice, they're not looking at the negatives, but really looking at the positives. And I think you probably know better than I do, Larry. You tell me, is, aren't the statistics that if a woman joins a practice, they get filled up? Oh, the ramp-up phase is much yeah. faster, much, much faster. And, you know, I, I actually, as I said at the governing board uh, a couple of days ago, uh, we need to make sure that GIAC practices realize that. That's right. really not something we've published but I, I bet if it's measured and published, it'll be something that'll be more accepted by people. Right, right, right. The other thing, the other um, wonderful presentation that that uh, that I heard at, at the AGA governing board meeting was from Amy Lucas, and Amy um, is at Mount Sinai in New York, a gastroenterologist at Mount Sinai, and she is also the head of our women's committee. And she was presenting the the data on how these pay inequities. Women are paid less in gastroenterology than men are. And that pay inequity over the course of one's professional life 
is about $2 million in lost yeah. wages wow. because, and, and, and that's kind of on us because I think it, it really represents that women aren't asking for the things they should ask about. But you could also imagine that if there was transparency, it wouldn't be so hard. If there was something transparent that, that everyone knew what, you know, what, what is like a male. You know, I don't. You know, at Mayo Clinic, where you know the, the salaries are what the salaries are, there'd be less of less of that. I don't pretend to have every solution, but I think that by hi highlighting at least what are we starting as the baseline, so that we can actually make sure that we're transforming the field, and as we accept women into the field, that they are maximally successful, that they're as successful as they deserve to be, based on their own intelligence and 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 energy, um, and productivity, that we've removed the barriers in their path. So I think that's one important thing that, I, that I'd like to make sure that uh, we're off to a great start, I think, as a society, but I want to make sure that it, under my stewardship that it goes as far as it can. Thank you very much for being on the Thank show. Thank you, Larry. Maria, All right. Enjoy the, enjoy the rest of the evening. Uh, and my guest here is Dr. Larry Kim. Larry, welcome to the, the podcast, and why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself first? Well, thanks, Larry. Um, other than having the distinction of sharing the same initials as, yeah. as you. Which creates problems uh, for us. Which does create some problems from time to time. You know, I've been involved with the AGA for, for quite a long time. Um, I started out actually as a uh, member of the trainee committee uh, way back in the dark ages. Since then, I've sort of cycled around through various committees, various projects, always had the perpetual inability to say no. Yep. <laughs> but AGA has always been sort of my professional home. Outside of AGA, though, I work as a gastroenterologist. I'm actually in a group practice. Uh, we are 25 physicians in South uh, Denver, Colorado. I've been, been there for 25 years. And you are a recent addition again for a second time to the AGA governing board. And so and not only are you on the board, you are now the vice president elect? I think in a couple of weeks. In a couple of weeks. Okay, so I'm jumping I'm jumping the gun a little bit. Okay, well you will you will be in the highest leadership of the AGA governing board for the next three to four years, depending if you count that last year. See if they keep me around. Though. Yeah, they will. they will. Anyway, you represent the leadership of the AGA for the next three years. What do you what are your major objectives during that period of time? The AJA has um, gone, undergone a real transformation um, in its uh, sort of leadership and strategy building. Um, you know, I think gone are the days where a president would come in with their sort of, sort of own agenda, sort of try to mold the organization in his own, his or her own image. Uh, and instead, we've spent a great deal of time and effort in building really a strategy framework uh, to sort of guide the future of this organization so we don't shift from one set of priorities one year to the other. So that said, uh, I am very sort of cognizant of my um, uh, position as a private practitioner. It's actually very rare to have a person like me being in this position that um, you know is is fairly visible, so I recognize that um, I'm going to be looked at as a little bit of a sim as a symbolic uh, you know kind of representation of the largest constituency for AGA, and I want to make sure not so much that we are so focused in just doing you know 
everything we can for private practice because we already do that, mm -hmm. right? But in large part, is to make that more visible to our membership and to, so that they understand some of the things that we, that we do. What do you What do you see as the largest challenges going forward in your leadership team? There's a number of challenges that there are that the field, I think, in general is facing. You know, one, there is a generational, I think one of the first and foremost is there's a real generational shift. And the average age of gastroenterologists, as we know, is in their 50s, right? This generation, our generation. Our generation. I'm, is, I'm in the one. You are in that generation. No, I'm ahead of you. you. <laughs> uh, is, is in the process of moving on. We have a whole new generation of uh, gastroenterologists who um, have different um, needs and honestly expectations for what uh, a medical society will do for them and what their interaction will be with the medical society. I think we have to be very cognizant of, of, of those generational shifts and learn how do we effectively engage uh, with, with, uh, with our younger, you know, the, the, next, the next group coming in. And what I'm encouraged to see is, you know, with the resumption of meetings like DDW, just how much enthusiasm and energy there is uh, in this place. This convention center is filled much more than we expected, actually, uh, with young, energetic people who are doing excellent research, taking great care of, clinical care of their patients, they're networking, getting to know each other, building ideas, and really building the, the future of our practice. Well, with those encouraging words, I'll let you go back to the rest of the conference. Thank you very much for taking time uh, to be part of the show, and um, I'm sure we'll see each other uh, walking the exhibit hall somewhere. Thanks, Larry. Always a present. Okay, thank thanks. You. Time for another pivot, and we are pivoting to a discussion around innovation. Specifically, innovation that is being being fostered through a new initiative of the AGA, the AGA GI Opportunity Fund. And to open this section, we have Dr. Michael Coachman, who is an advisor to the uh, GI Opportunity Fund. Welcome to the show, Michael. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself first? Uh, thanks, Larry. I am a professor at the University of Pennsylvania, a former governing board member of, of the AGA, currently on the AGA Foundation, and also past chair of the AGA Center for GI Innovation Technology. Tell us what this fund means to the AGA and what it means to their members. So this fund really has multiple different uh, purposes as far as the AGA. Uh, with this, it allows us to walk that last mile of the AGA CGIT, where we would foster innovation and advise companies on the path forward. But at the end of that path, we did not have the ability to fund them to take the next step. With this fund, we are really hitting on three different purposes. One, we're aiding these companies in going further down the path to commercialization and becoming viable entities. The second thing it does is it allows us as AGA members to go ahead and look at promising new technologies which we think will impact and help our patients and our practice. And the third thing is it provides an additional revenue stream in this era of decreasing revenue to the AGA by diversifying us out of the traditional income streams. And it also allows 
AGA members to participate in these investments as well. That's a separate question, Dr. <laughs> Kaczynski. So for the AGA members, it does allow a relatively low entry point into VC investing, which is traditionally not easily accessible to most, except at a high entry point. So a $25,000 entry at this point is pretty accessible for most gastroenterologists. Uh, all of the investors need to be accredited investors, so we do fall under SEC regulations, so we do have to make sure that everyone does have the requisite financial stability and, and or income to be a, a, an investor in the fund. Of the income that the fund receives, as you were alluding to, 80% of that uh, goes back to pay the fees and then profit to the investors. 20% is split evenly between the AGA and Varia. So you have a few of the representatives of the companies that you have already invested with here uh, for this podcast, and let's bring the first one on. Okay. The first uh, founder uh, that my coachman has for me to interview today is Matt Schwartz, the founder and CEO of Virgo. Welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate it. Nice to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself and about your company. Yeah, sure thing. So my name is Matt Schwartz. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Virgo. I'm a biomedical engineer by training. I uh, started my career in medical device product management, spine surgery, robotic surgery. Uh, and back in 2017, founded Virgo with my two co-founders with a mission to improve patient care and clinical outcomes by developing automation and AI solutions for endoscopy. Uh, the real key insight that we had back in 2017 was that across endoscopic medical procedures, whether it's in GI, pulmonary, urology, laparoscopic surgery, nobody was actually saving the videos from these procedures. And we felt like in order to bring the revolution in AI to the world of endoscopy, you had to start with the data capture. And so we set out to build the first cloud video capture and management platform for endoscopy core focus on gastroenterology. Uh, we owe the AGA a huge debt of gratitude. We really started the company at the AGA Tech Summit back in 2017 and got our jumping off point there. So the AGA had a very influential effect on the development of your company. Yeah. Uh, undoubtedly. I think you were actually at the breakfast table when we sat down uh, the 2017 AGA Tech Summit. Me and my co-founder, we barely knew how to spell GI, uh, <laughs> and, and you guys were kind enough to show us the ropes and make some great introductions, and the company started there. Well, if I understand AI correctly, the more material you can feed into an AI system, the more accurate that system will be. So, do you have any idea what size of a, 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 a database you've you've already accumulated? Yeah, it, it's uh, large and rapidly growing. So we're now installed in over 100 uh, facilities wow. across the US, just at our first installations in the EU. We'll be expanding in Canada, South America later this year. Uh, we've captured over 600,000 high definition endoscopic procedure videos. We're currently on a run rate to capture over 400,000 on an annual basis. We actually think by the end of this year, we'll be capturing over a million procedures in high definition on an annual basis. So it's a tremendous amount of data. Yeah, to say, to say the least. Well, that probably has significant applications in research. Without a doubt, um, yeah. I, mean, I, I can imagine that's, that's a significant tool for pharmaceutical companies that are trying to do research. Yeah. And that, that's fantastic. So, Matt, where are you going next with it? <laughs> yeah, good question. You know, we still have a, a ton of focus on the GI space. Um, we do a lot of work with pharmaceutical companies now leveraging this growing data network for clinical trial recruitment, 
Uh, there's also a, a huge interest in using this video database for research and development uh, with pharmaceuticals and life sciences. Um, and while we, we are in love with the GI community, we do have our sights set on some additional medical specialties. Uh, we've actually captured a good deal of bronchoscopy yep. video footage. Uh, we expect to branch into urology with cystoscopy. Uh, we also do a lot of ultrasound capture. I know uh, intestinal bowel ultrasound is, is a hot topic for the IBD community right now. And we are uh, enabling our system to capture intestinal ultrasound, which is quite exciting. Well, I wish you the best of luck. Thank and, you. Uh, thank you for being on the podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. Good to be here. Okay. Our second GI Opportunity Fund company is Evo Endo. And I have here Joel Friedlander, who is the founder and chief medical officer of the company. Joel, welcome to the show today. And uh, tell us about yourself and your company. Thank you so much, Dr. K. Our company, uh, Evo Endo uh, Incorporated, was founded out in Colorado, um, and we were having difficulties with children who needed frequent endoscopy and required sedation anesthesia and wanted to create clinical solutions, which resulted in a, the smallest uh, gastroscope on the market at three and a half millimeters wow. with a two millimeter working channel that enabled full upper endoscopy without anesthesia for kids and obviously by corollary to adults as well, too. Wow. And that's about the narrowest scope I've ever heard of. You could almost do biliary endoscopy with that. It's, it's the ultimate scope to pick your nose. So yeah, uh, yeah. I became one, uh, a, a booger picker. <laughs> so um, how helpful was the GI Opportunity Fund to your company? is very, very helpful. So being a pediatrician, I'm a pediatric gastroenterologist by training. Um, the AGA has always been uh, very important to, important to me and to have uh, the opportunity and the recognition from the AGA of a company dedicated to pediatric gastroenterology is of utmost importance to us and just proud to be a partner. Well, we always try to include our pediatric colleagues here. So thank you very much for being on the show and uh, wish you all the best of luck. Uh, thank you so much. My next guest in this segment of the podcast is Andrea Vossler, who is managing partner of the Varia Fund. And this is the venture capital fund that has partnered with the uh, AGA to form the GI Opportunity Fund. Welcome to the show, Andrea. Thanks, Larry. Glad to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background. Sure. So I'm a venture attorney by trade. And actually, I was just speaking to Joel over there at Evo Endo, one of our most recent investments for the AGA uh, GI Opportunity Fund. I was uh, doing later stage work in private equity, but I enjoyed doing more of the earlier st stage work. I like innovation, uh, market opportunity, execution strength of the team, and private equity tends to be a little bit more uh, financial engineering. So I co-lead the Sarpin Venture Capital Practice at a uh, New York-based firm, and I work with entrepreneurs day in and day out. And uh, a lot of those entrepreneurs have been physicians over the years, and They've had unique challenges, I think, in terms of developing IP, but not really having many capital pathways in terms of commercializing that IP. So we began partnering with medical and surgical societies across the US uh, several years ago. One of our first partners was SAGES, also a GI surgical society. And they connected us with the AGA, who had a long history of innovation every piece of the innovation except I would say the capital pathway. Right. I think in terms of uh, Varia, we were at right place, right time, and uh, we were interested in developing and further developing what the EGA had already been building over many, many years. So the capital pathway is the fund. It allows us to support entrepreneurs in, uh, in a financial way beyond assisting with consulting and other support that the EGA has given over many years. 
And for the investor base, which is all AGA members, it allows them to participate in opportunities that they're familiar with and that they have a unique ability to assess the value of. And, and so how does a gastroenterologist in the AGA become part of the GI opportunity fund? Up until, I would say about a week ago, the first fund was open. Uh, we have closed it. However, I will say if someone's interested, they should reach out soon. Um, we'd be happy to accommodate them because we are still trying to tie up loose ends as, as for investors that came in late. But if they're interested, um, they just need to be a member of the AGA. The minimum commitment is 25000 We really tried to bring it down so people could uh, feel comfortable investing for the first time in venture. Um, it gives them access to the full, full portfolio that we've invested in to date, so there's, there shouldn't be any concern around that. And they can just email us or email anyone at the AGA and they'll connect us with us and um, we'll be happy to talk with them more. Well, thank you for being on the show and enjoy the rest of the meeting. Thank you, Larry. Well, that certainly was a whirlwind podcast, wasn't it? We have more interviews to share with you, but that will be on a separate show. Thank you to all of our guests, and thanks to our audience for tuning in. You can learn more about the show on the program's page on healthcarenowradio.com. Lend your voice to the conversation on Twitter at HCNowRadio. You can access our podcasts on most of your favorite platforms, including Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at SonarMD. We're bringing patients, providers, and payers together to reimagine GI care. Until next time, I'm Dr. K. Stay well.